Uh, okay, let's get it. Can you hear me? I'm going to get a few things out of the way really quick. One, I am losing my voice. It's true. So bear with me. Can you hear me in the back? Okay. I was like, is there a mic? You're like, yes. Second, if you noticed, there aren't any giveaways under here for a book written by Jeannie Nielsen. So I am going on record as the only Nielsen that does not have a doctorate, write books, or have a seminary, or a master's degree. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> just need to say that. Okay, I am Jeannie. I am married to John. Um, we have four little girls, ages eight and under. Her Addie is in third grade, and our Lucy is 17 months old. And we are busy. And so I was thinking about what I would want to tell you about me, and I was thinking I could tell you that I'm busy and what it's like to be a mom of four little kids or a pastor's wife or to work full time. Um, I run a fitness studio called Orange Theory Fitness um, and I also coach for them. So life is quite busy. And then I thought, gosh, like they'll just think she's so busy and tired. So, which I am. Um, <laughs> so I thought I would tell you five things that you should know about me that go beyond the word busy. One, very important. I am a die-hard Chicago Cubs fan. And you need to know this, okay? Because it means that I know what true loyalty looks like. Because we haven't always been good, all right? In fact, we've been really bad. And it means that I still love them, even though they parted with Joe Madden. And I love Joe Madden. If you don't know who he is, you can Google him later. Not on the church-provided Wi-Fi right now. Second, I could eat either sushi or tacos every day for the rest of my life. People will be like, if you were stranded on an island and you could only have one food, I'm like, I know what it is, okay? It is spicy tuna. It is the spicy tuna roll. Three, my go-to outfit is yoga pants or sweatpants and a hoodie. I told them at dinner, if you see me in jeans, <laughs> it is a sure bet. <laughs> I have something unusually important to do. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be in anything but my favorite pair of yoga pants. Um, four, my ideal day includes a long run and multiple cups of coffee. I love coffee. Most of my days start before 4 a.m., and they start at my espresso machine in my kitchen, the best birthday gift I've ever been given. And if I can get a long run in, I'm usually a saner mother and wife, and it makes me happy. Five, as you heard, my heart really is in the local church. Um, we are busy. We have a lot going on, but I love the local church. Um, the church that we are at right now was a dying church when we took over two years ago, so you can call it a revitalization, if you will, and that comes with many different joys and blessings, one of them being that we really tangibly are able to touch every lane of the church, from little, little kids, my kids are half the choir, up to, you know, those who are much older than I am. Um, okay, so those are the five things. <clears throat> now you've got that we're like best friends because there really is nothing else to know about me. Um, my husband would be like, she is like unchanging. So those are the things you need to know. Um, three different talks this weekend. The first one, the wisdom and power of the word in preaching. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, 28 and 29 is kind of going to be where I am um, working from. I want to go on record saying that of the three talks, this is probably the most uh, information intensive. So stick with me on it just because 
That's just kind of how it shook out while I was doing the work. All right. Well, for everyone here today, my guess that is, um, is that at least part of the reason that you're sitting in this room tonight is because of the impact that the preaching of the Word of God has had on your lives or on our lives. Um, I was pretty young when I grew up under the preaching of Erwin Lutzer at Moody Church in Chicago. Um, and then for most of my childhood, my teenage years, my college years, I sat under the preaching of Colin Smith at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church, which is in the Chicagoland area. Um, I think when I think back on those years, I am still coming to understand how much of the preaching, how much the preaching of these men formed not just my understanding of God, but my understanding of sin and of grace and of salvation, of course. My husband, John, who's been referenced several times tonight, who got his book, raise your hand, I couldn't see who got it. Oh, the one that, yeah, the giveaway, they're not raising their, oh, okay, a teenager. Let me know what you think of it. <laughs> it was his first book, so if it's rough, just don't tell him. Uh, my husband, John, grew up under the preaching of Kent Hughes at College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. And when John and I talk about those years at College Church, he often says that he just kind of assumed that all preachers were as great as Kent. Kent's pretty great. But it was that careful week-by-week week work through the Bible that I think shaped John from an early age in his approach to God's Word and his understanding of the Christian life, right? And many of you have stories. Maybe you have stories of bad preachers. Don't name them. Or boring preachers. Or preachers who just got it wrong. But probably at some point, if you're sitting in this room, you were built up through a biblical preaching. Maybe you got converted under the faithful preaching, under faithful preaching. Maybe you've been discipled by faithful biblical preaching. So it's this topic of preaching that I want to focus on for this first talk, which I've called the wisdom and power of the word in preaching. So basically in the three talks I'm going to do this weekend, I'm going to work from really, really big up here preaching down to small. So from corporate, a corporate experience in the church, all the way down to an individual experience with the Bible, which will be the last talk tomorrow. So we're going to focus on preaching right now in talk one, and then small groups in talk two, and personal devotions in talk three. All of these talks are going to be rooted in verses or passages from Paul's letter to the Colossians, this rich epistle where he is so clear that Jesus Word is enough for God's people who are to be led by God's word. <clears throat> now, full disclosure, as we begin, I obviously do not consider myself a preacher. It's our churches and my conviction that God's word makes it really clear in 1 Timothy 2 that the authoritative preaching of God's word is reserved for men in the church. Okay, so that's not where I'm headed tonight, in case you were worried that Jeff brought in a dud. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what's she going to say? What is she going to say? <laughs> He's like, like sweating over there. Um, what I actually want to focus on is how we as followers of Jesus understand what biblical preaching is and apply it rightly to our lives. So in other words, how should biblical preaching bear fruit in our lives as we sit under God's word together? Okay, okay to get started, uh, my first question, you can write it down if you're taking notes. They also asked me if I wanted to provide an outline, but I was like, eh. Might be hard to follow me. Okay, so question number one, why preaching? I'm going to spend the next few minutes on that. Why preaching? Okay. 
So when I say why preaching, what I mean is why is preaching so important in the life of the local church? Not everyone thinks that it is. Um, in fact, just a few weeks ago, one Christian leader wrote a big article arguing that the sermon should no longer be the central part of the worship service. We should focus on other things rather than just listening to someone get up and talk. Let me read Colossians 1, 28 to 29 for us, which is kind of the key verse for this evening. Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, so verse 128, if you have your Bible in front of me, Paul says, him we proclaim. It's kind of a strange word order, actually, in the original language, and I have not gone to seminary, but I was an English teacher. Um, it's almost awkward, in fact, to start him we proclaim. It would be kind of like if I walked into the kitchen at dinner time and said to my husband, dinner I will make. It sounds a little bit like Yoda, okay? It's like, Heck. But Paul's doing this on purpose. He's leading them, uh, this sentence, with the hymn, with Jesus. Him we proclaim. So why preaching? That's that question. It's because Jesus and his gospel must be proclaimed. It has to be spoken. It has to be preached. Let me be so bold as to say that if there is no proclamation in the church, the church is missing out on its central calling, which is right here, to proclaim Christ to make Jesus known. Verse 128, still Paul goes on and explains that the kind of proclamation of Jesus that he does involves warning and teaching everyone. This is actually, to me, such a helpful explanation of what good preaching is supposed to involve. It's supposed to involve warning and teaching. Good preachers are good warners. They talk about hard things like sin and judgments and hell and God's wrath because the Bible talks about those things. The bad news has to come before the good news, right? So good preachers, they warn. But good teachers are also good teachers, right? They explain things carefully. They help people grow in wisdom as they look at God's word. Oh, that baby's making me miss my baby. <laughs> I love that sound. <laughs> it's my favorite sound. Um, good preachers are also good teachers, right? Um, <clears throat> they explain. They help people grow in wisdom. So they look at God's word. So why preaching? Because people need to be warned and taught. Still in verse 128, look at Paul's next phrase, which describes the purpose of his preaching. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. You're going to circle a word, circle mature. What are good preachers after? Are they trying to get people to raise their hands? Are they trying to entertain? Are they trying to give people a good laugh? I mean, they may do all of those things, right? I've only known Jeff five minutes over here, but I'm pretty sure he's funny. But he's a lot more than that, of course. Good preachers are after maturity, okay? So why preaching? For Paul, the purpose of his preaching was its link to helping people grow in maturity, all right, in Jesus Christ, to grow toward maturity in Jesus Christ. And in verse 29, which I just read, Paul says he toils at it. He works with all of God's power that works within him. You guys, if you have a pastor that works hard at his preaching, it's a gift. 
So why preaching? Four reasons. I'm going to summarize everything I just said. One, because Jesus must be proclaimed. Two, because God's people must be warned and taught. Three, because God's people must grow toward maturity. And four, because we all need preaching in our church. We need it to be done well. Still with me? Okay, good. <laughs> Told you it was going to be a lot of info. Okay. Um, question number two. What is preaching? So this first question, why preaching, obviously leads us to a more specific question, and it's this one. What is preaching? Listen. <laughs> you and I have probably heard a lot of things that pass for preaching, okay? Um some people like to talk about themselves and their experience, and they call it preaching. Some people give long theological explanations that are not rooted in any biblical text, and they call it preaching. Some people read one Bible verse and then depart from that verse never to return, and they call that preaching. Okay, so this question, what is preaching, is really, really important. At, its, at the most basic kind of definition, the way that we can understand preaching will be the heralding, is heralding the word of God. So if you can write that down, you can understand preaching as heralding the word of God. Preaching is making known and making clear the word of God with right application. So if you want to put it really simply, good preaching is basically re-preaching the passage of the Bible that you're in. I don't know what pastors do all week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> like, John, what are you working so hard on? It's right there in front of you. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> He works really hard. Um, but to get a little more specific, it is my conviction that biblical preaching is also expository preaching, okay? And it's expository preaching that I think is supposed to be the steady diet of God's people in the church. So before we go on, I think we're probably going to have to define some terms because people often mean a lot of different things when they talk about preaching or expository word ministry. Um, so I'm going to start with a definition of, well, expository preaching, teaching. One way to begin to think about a distinction uh, is to think about a distinction with topical and textual. So I'm going to start there. Topical preaching, that's where someone may speak on a certain chosen topic. And basically the points that are made about the topic are backed up by the verses and or passages from the Bible. So they start with the topic in mind, okay, and then they choose their points and Bible verses based on the topic that they would like to teach on. And then there's textual preaching. That's where you get your main point from the Bible text, but then everything else you say just kind of comes from your own thoughts. So you're getting the main point from the Bible, but you're not really carefully working through the passage itself to show how it develops into your main point. And then finally, so topical, textual, there's expository preaching. And that is where the preacher gets his main point from the Bible passage, but actually works through the Bible passage itself to show how it makes that point. Okay, so why is the passage saying this? In other words, the preacher is preaching the main point in a way that the text itself preaches it. Okay? There's a guy named Dave Helm. He 
runs an organization called the Charles Simeon Trust. He also is a pastor in Chicago. Um, he puts, he says all the time, the shape of the passage determines the emphasis of the sermon. So what the text is saying, right, informs the sermon. So that's expository preaching. Here's another longer definition of it. You're going to have to go with me. And if you want a copy of this, it's probably the one I should have put up on a slide. Um, I'm happy to pass it along. There is a long definition, and I'm going to go through it and explain it, of expositional preaching from Dr. Kent Hughes, um, who is who was our pastor at college, John's pastor at College Church, and is really one of his models and mentors in preaching. And here's what Kent says about expository word work. Okay, the preacher has basically done his work in the text when one he has worked out what Kent calls or Dave. Helm calls it the Simeon Trust, the melodic line of the book, okay? So that just means the main point of the whole book. So pastor's done his work when, one, this is just the first thing, just wait for my list, he's done the main point of the whole book. Two, he has prayerfully interpreted his text in its context. So I've looked at the whole book, and now I'm looking at this text, and I'm saying, what does it mean within the book, okay? Three, he understands the text application in its historical setting and in the whole of Scripture. So not just Colossians, but where does Colossians fit into the whole of Scripture? He has discerned wherein it is a revelation of Jesus Christ has made the appropriate Old Testament connection. So basically, how does this text connect to Jesus? All right, so he's, he's worked on that. He has made the trip from, I'm going to use an example, um, from Jerusalem to Michigan, and he understands its present relevance. What I mean by that is he has gone from the original context of the passage first before bringing it to today, okay? He has looked at what other people have said. He's read his commentaries, all right? That's another one. He has stated the theme of the text or its big idea. He has outlined his exposition using the literary structure of the text as to guide his sermon shape. So basically, the way the text is put together informs the way the sermon is put together. He's used stories and illustrations which really do illuminate the text. Look how far down the list that one is. And finally, he has written or outlined his sermon using language, metaphors, concrete words that actually does communicate in today's culture. Okay, listen to that. That is so much work, okay? That's a ton of work. It's not even a little bit of work. It is a ton of work. And so then it's not too hard to understand why Paul would say in Colossians 1.29, for this I toil and, sh and struggle, okay? Because good preaching is really, really hard work, all right? Now I want to pause and ask another question here, but it's not like a big, it's not like a, if you're writing one, two, three questions, a question within a question, we're still working on question number two. But why do some pastors and churches not do this? That's the question. Why don't many people do this kind of preaching in their churches? This is important. I think there are a few reasons. One, I think we tend to be drawn towards things that are more topical and flashy in our teaching and in our churches. I know that in our context, topical preaching series about current events or Practical topics can often seem to generate the most buzz. But when we do that, we're falling into another version of the felt needs approach to teaching and preaching. 
And we forget that so often the Bible confronts us in areas and places we didn't even know that we needed to hear about, which is often what happens when we open up the Bible and preach the text, teach the text. And this relates to a second reason that a lot of people stay away from expository preaching, something called the relevance factor, okay? It's our desperate desire to make, as church leaders, to make ourselves seem relevant to people. So before John and I... um, landed at Christ Presbyterian about two years ago. We were uh, doing ministry and leading Bible courses together at Princeton University in New Jersey. Um, And there was probably nothing that we felt more strongly than this very pressure, the pressure to be relevant to 500 students who were so with it and up to speed on everything from politics, especially politics, to business, to sports, to pop culture, Okay, everything. So, of course, we had this desire to kind of be cool and accessible, and we wanted our Bible teaching to be relevant. You better believe that youth pastors and youth workers in your churches are feeling this pressure, too, because they desperately want to meet students where they are. And yet, when we come back to what the Bible is, Okay, the Bible is the God of the universe speaking to us. We remember and we must remember that this voice is always in every age the most ultimately relevant thing to everyone's life. All right? The most relevant thing that a pastor can put before the people of God is the word of God. We can't ever forget that. And then there's a third reason why I think a lot of pastors and churches aren't doing this kind of careful work. And I think that <laughs> it's just that sometimes we're too lazy. <laughs> Um, I think about my husband, John. I get a really up-close view to his prep work. Um, So I think about him in pastoral ministry, and I think about what I know to be true of him. And the fact is it would be way easier for John to whip up a quick talk on five principles for Christian friendship than it would be to slog through texts like 1 Samuel 20 or Psalm 56, 1 Thessalonians 2, and teach and apply it winsomely to men and women. I mean, it takes a lot of work to do this. Because it's not coming from John's own head, right, or Jeff's own head. It's their careful attention to the word of God, and it takes work. Okay, next question. Why should our churches and pastors do this? This is also a question within a question. Why must we as God's people or as women of God care about this kind of preaching or ministry? I mean, I don't have to write the sermon, so why should I care about it? Okay, four reasons why preaching in our churches should include a steady diet of this kind of expository word ministry. Number one, this one's really important to me. People can handle it, okay? I think that so many church leaders have underestimated, and we do this in youth ministry especially. We did it, you know, we did this a lot in youth ministry when John and I were in youth ministry. We underestimate the capacity of people to grasp biblical truth that is revealed in the very structure of the biblical text. This failure has led us to summarize the message of Bible text. We water down passages. Um, We mold it into easily digestible morsels that people can take home and apply. In short, we do all the work for people in our teaching. We We move from observation to exegesis to application to kitty size, basically. Translation, um, all in the course of preaching from one text. And when we do that, when we underestimate, when we strip it down, when we water it down, we strip people of their opportunity 
to think like their pastors as they take them through the logic of the text. So pastors should help their people observe how the writer has carefully put it together. Then they can lead their listeners to the main point that the passage's author sought to get across. People can follow that kind of work, that kind of textbook, and we just sometimes don't invite them to try it. Two, equally important, expository preaching helps people read their Bibles better. This should be important too. I will never forget before we left for Princeton the question that Kent Hughes asked us while we were getting ready to go and lead a campus ministry there. He kind of had heard about our plans for evangelism and Bible studies and large group teaching, and he asked, how are you going to help them learn to feed themselves? So like in other words, how are you going to train and equip them to be students of the Bible when you leave there? Right? It's like the what you save them by is what you save them to kind of thing. Here's the thing. Topical teaching can be helpful at certain times, and it it is. Don't hear me say it's not. But a steady and unbalanced diet of it undermines people's understanding of God's word. God's word does not come to us in one-sentence blurbs. It doesn't come to us laid out under various topical headings, like an extended concordance. God's word comes to us in stories and in parables and in poetry, prophecy, and song. People who have been fed a constant stream of messages on what the Bible has to say about relationships will be in for a nasty surprise when they open up the book of Leviticus. They're like, what is this? Pastors have a blessed responsibility and opportunity to teach people how to read, receive, and understand the Bible as it is put together in the way that God ordained, book by book and chapter by chapter. Peso expository preaching helps people learn to read their Bibles better. Three, kind of near and dear to my heart. Expository preaching protects pastors, okay? A commitment to expositional preaching protects pastors from themselves. Let me explain what I mean by that. Unless pastors commit to preaching through a book of the Bible, they have two choices. Maybe they have more, but they have two tonight. They can pull their people and hear about what they want to learn, Those people likely mention things like relationships, cultural issues, sex, maybe free will, maybe predestination, I mean, you name it. Or they can choose to teach on a topic of their own choosing. Both of these options could be much more closely linked to a human agenda than God's agenda, okay? So expository preaching protects pastors. Only by elevating the word of God up high in teaching letting the passage along the way dictate what is preached to God's people, do they ensure that they are consistently and faithfully teaching the revealed word of God and the will of God for the people's benefit? Okay, so expository preaching protects pastors from their own agenda. Four, expository preaching makes the pastor a model, not a celebrity or guru. Y'all live in Michigan. But we've had some issues down in the Chicagoland area lately with celebrity pastors. And I'm sure you've read things across news spaces over the years, all right, um, regarding some of the recent issues that have come up. The cele- I'll just call it the celebrity pastor phase. I mean, here is the reality. It, it will not be difficult for a witty, good-looking, I think my husband's good-looking, though, fashionably dressed pastor to entertain a group of people with funny stories and practical advice as part of kind of a catchy topical series accompanied by some awesome worship music. That was awesome. Um, 
A lot of churches have gotten pretty big this way, right? The question is what such a pastor has modeled for his people. So they may learn truth from a biblically-based topical series, but do they learn how to handle the Bible for themselves? Or do they learn to cling to their pastor for the answers? And faithful, clear, and interestingly, not boring, (laughs) expositional preaching, a pastor has the opportunity to demonstrate and to model to his people how to approach, understand, teach, and apply the Bible. And then they can start doing that for themselves. That's part of the point. In other words, a biblical goal for a sermon might be to to teach a passage carefully and faithfully so that the people listening say to themselves, I see what he did. I could get that from this passage. The model shapes the way the people start to do their devotions, listen to sermons, one day teach Sunday school. This isn't like just someone who's, you know, preaching. This is like the way that you may go out and teach Sunday school down the hallway, lead Bible studies, teach your kids about the Bible. As pastors discipline themselves to teach the Bible in this way to their people, they take what they have learned and they pass it on to faithful Christians who will be able to teach others also. Okay, that was a lot. So you had like six questions, but really there were only two. Why preaching and what is preaching? (laughs) All right, now I briefly want to apply a little bit of all this and ask one last question. So you have why preaching, what is preaching? How do we listen to preaching? And why, how do we listen to preaching? Because that's what most of us are going to be doing week to week in our churches, right? Listening to preaching. And here's my basic answer. We need to listen to preaching expectantly and earnestly and with discernment. I'm going to go through those one by one. All right, one. We need to listen to preaching expectantly. So we saw from Colossians 1 that Colossians 1 that Paul has pretty high hopes for preaching. It's supposed to proclaim Christ. It's supposed to warn and teach them. It's supposed to lead them toward maturity, right? We need to expect that God is going to use the faithful week-to-week preaching of his word to do those things in our hearts and lives. And we need to pray expecting that God will do that. All right, so you need to listen to preaching expectantly. Second, we need to listen to preaching earnestly. And I say earnestly very intentionally, uh, as opposed to words like critically or cynically. Listen, we don't all get to listen to John Piper and Tim Keller and Alistair Begg, all right? I get to listen to John Nielsen. He's pretty good, but he's not Tim Keller. So we just don't. Most of us have ordinary pastors. You guys, most churches in the United States are small to mid-sized. I'm talking zero to 250, okay? And they have ordinary pastors who are doing their darn best to preach God's word to God's people. And it is our job to lean into that, okay, with earnestness, with sincerity, to listen well and to seek to apply the word of God that is preached. So we don't listen first with a critical ear. We listen first with an earnest desire to hear God, uh, to hear from God and to be built up. Okay, so one, expectantly, two, earnestly, three, with discernment. Okay, of course you need to use discernment 
when you're thinking about preaching and what you're observing and what you're internalizing and what you're hearing. Our pastors are not perfect. They can make mistakes. They sure do. And we need to be like the people in the book of Acts who listened to the preaching of the apostles and, quote, search the scriptures to see if these things were so. We absolutely need to eat the meat that's being given to you and pick out the bones. And if the bones are false teaching, of course, you need to reject them and confront them. Okay, so all of this, why is this kind of, why, why expository preaching? What does it do? How does it actually train you and equip you? Okay, is so that you can sit expectantly, earnestly, and with discernment. Because if you understand how to open your Bible and study the text, you're more discerning in a sermon. Okay, how do you know if something's like a bunch of garbage or something, you know? need to do your work. So in that end, at the end, we say we take responsibility to study God's word for ourselves, even as we readily sit under the preaching of the word week after week. Okay, I'm going to stop there for the night because I don't have anything else to say, but <laughs> there are no more notes, <laughs> um, <laughs> which means I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so tonight, the wisdom and power of God's word in preaching Tomorrow morning, we're going to get into the wisdom of power of God's word first in small groups. All right? All right, let's pray. God, thanks for this gathering of women, um, Lord, and thank you that we can even come together and talk about preaching in small groups and our personal study. Lord, we pray that you would um, use this weekend, Lord, to bring us closer to you as we think about how we study the Bible, what we are digesting each week in our local churches and tomorrow what it looks like to do the same in small groups and also in our personal study lord may we be women who leave here tomorrow afternoon more complete in christ as we think about the wisdom and power of your word in these various areas lord uh, we love you we thank you for this time in your name we pray amen